Welcome to Reflections of Darkness. This is your gorgeous drag horror hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. How are all my pod people out there in podcast land doing? I hope you're all doing well and watching and reading lots of horror and getting all those summer scares in. So, I have made a couple of changes to the Reflections of Darkness podcast. First, I have given myself a new recording schedule that I am going to try my hardest to stick to. But... If I fuck up and miss a week or two, I'm not gonna beat myself up about it causing me to miss four months of recording. So there. <laughs> Another addition I've made is that I have overlaid the full moon calendar over my new recording schedule. And wherever a full moon falls, I will try and incorporate a werewolf movie, possibly coinciding with holidays or Shades of Grey episodes. So all you hairy men out there, well, you can thank me later. <laughs> There are a few more additions, but those will come after the episode, so stay tuned. As always, feel free to send me any comments, questions, concerns, and let me know if there are any horror movies you want me to review. And you can find all my contact info over at evilqueensf.com. Now I'm skipping the quick reflections tonight. I know, I know, you all love them, but they'll be back next episode. I figured with all the news, I better get to the episode sooner. Speaking of which... Tonight's episode is the Full Moon 4th of July combo. Now, technically it's not a 4th of July movie, but it does have a fireworks storyline, so that's close enough for me. <laughs> so tonight, I'm reviewing the Stephen King werewolf classic, Silver Bullet. Enjoy. Tonight, we are reviewing Silver Bullet from 1985, based on Stephen King's novella, Cycle of the Werewolf. We get title card immediately. Full moon, a wolf howls as the opening credits play. Couple people of note, 80s child star Corey Haim and Mr. Gary Busey. Now we zoom in on a little town, Tarker's Mills, in the spring of 1976, and we get a little narration. The last full moon of that spring came a little more than a month before school let out for summer vacation. Our town's long nightmare began that night. Cut to Arnie on a railroad track, and it looks like he's some sort of railroad repairman or something. Anyway, he hears a noise in the woods, and he sees some big animal tracks just as a large shadow falls over him. And then wham! A huge claw swipe, and Arnie's head is flung through the air. <laughs> now that's a great opening. I'd say it was a head of its time. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> the killing had begun. But at first, no one knew it. You see, Arnie Westrom was a chronic drunk, and what happened seemed like an accident. The county coroner concluded that Arnie had passed out on the tracks. There wasn't enough evidence to conclude anything else. Cut to a festival or town square gathering with, you know, the bake sale and the town band and the church ladies. Now, if you've never been to a small town in America like this, then it's hard to imagine just a bunch of white people, lots of carbs, and no homosexuals as far as the eye can see. Well, unless you go in a cornfield or lightly wooded area at night, <laughs> then you can see a bunch of them with dirty knees. I mean, I mean, that's what I've heard. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we find out that the narration is all the memory of Marty, Corey Hames, older sister Jane. This is Tarker's Mills, where I grew up. And this is how it looked that spring. A town where people cared about each other as much as they cared about themselves. I was nearly 15 years old, and my brother Marty was 11. 
Now, Marty in this movie is in this souped-up wheelchair since he's paralyzed from the waist down. They may cover this in the novella about what happened, or if he was born this way, or whatever, but they don't in the movie. Or I missed it. I don't know. <laughs> so Jane's parents tell her to go check on Marty, and we get a prank scene from Marty's best friend Brady and a snake. So Jane sees the snake and falls and rips her pantyhose, which, honey, I can relate. The knees of my hose somehow always get dirty and torn when I'm in the park with a couple guys. <laughs> anyway, Jane is pissed and stomps off crying, and Marty is feeling guilty. So Jane goes to this little secluded area and just takes off her torn hose and throws it on the ground. Ew. <laughs> but while she's there, she overhears a little town drama. I told you, babe. It ain't my baby. Don't you ever drag you me off like that. Again. You know it's your baby. Look, you know we had this conversation before. Sorry, babe. You have to have some help. I don't it's know your what oven, but it ain't my bun. You got bacon in there, huh? Uh, you have to help me. Remember the good man. You know what I mean? Well, that guy seems like a gem. Douche. Cut to some nice 1970s parenting. Now, I want you two to bury the hatchet. You're being very silly, Jane. Did you see my knee? Did you see my outfit? Marty has apologized. And you know as well as I do, we couldn't have climbed that tree to stop Brady anyway. You always take his side because he's crippled. Well, it's not my fault he's crippled. You just want to be quiet or I'm going to smack you now. I mean it. Slap her. Do it. Do it. Slap her. She threw her hose in the park. Ah. <laughs> then we get to hear that Uncle Red is coming to visit and that he's getting another divorce and that he's a drunk. Hmm. I wonder who's going to play him. <laughs> Later that night, Marty rolls into Jane's room to put money on her nightstand just like a whore, you know, for some new hose. So they make up for now. Uh-oh, full moon again. And we zoom in on a little house with the pregnant woman from earlier. And she's going to commit suicide by taking a bunch of pills in her bedroom while something is climbing up her trellis. It jumps into her bedroom and fucks her up. Then the woman's mom comes in with a gun, but it's way too late. Because he's gone and she is dead. But she was committing suicide anyway, so now her death is at least a little exciting this way. <laughs> also, speaking of trellises... Or is it trellisai? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like houses and horror movies always have trellises. And that's how the killer or boyfriend gets to the second floor. Okay, one, trellises are for like flowers or vines, not grown men or werewolves. Two, the trellis market really struggled probably being featured in so many horror movies. I don't know. That's just where my brain goes. <laughs> trellisai. <laughs> Then we jump from the sheriff's office to the local bar, and temperatures are running high. Maybe it's all that suppressed homosexuality, you guys. <laughs> Whatever it is, the barman brings out the peacemaker. That's just a baseball bat with the words peacemaker carved into it, but they all calm down for now. Cut to Marty riding his motor wheelchair down the street. Now, there is no way that this thing is street legal. I mean, what if he crashes and gets par- I mean, uh, never mind. As Marty and his blonde girl crush Tammy are heading home, they pass the house where the unwed pregnant woman got it. 
Then we learn that little Tammy has been hearing weird noises in the potting shed shack thing behind her house. Then we meet Tammy's asshole father. Damn, crippled. Always end up on welfare. Electrocute them all. Balance a goddamn budget. After he leaves Tammy's house, he slides into the gas station running on fumes. Foreshadowing. Hey, Mr. Kratz. Well, Marty, I see you lucked out again. Yep. Put the filler up, please. Want me to check the oil? Yeah, sure. Wipe the windshield and check the driver's bullshit level? Cut to Uncle Red being super inappropriate, drinking, swearing, gambling, love that. But the mom puts a stop to it and sends Marty to bed. Lame. Marty really likes and looks up to his uncle, but the mom, on the other hand. I don't want you drinking around Marty. Don't be telling me what to do. You've been telling me what to do all my life. Red, I don't care how you live, but he is a very impressionable little boy. You know, you think your only responsibility is getting his butt out of the chair and into the tub and out of the chair and onto the toilet. And you ought to realize there's more to Marty than him not being able to walk. So easy for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You blow in here once a month, and you tell a few jokes, and you have a few beers, and then you want to lecture me about how to raise my son. Well, I am the one who is responsible for how he feels when he sees you like this, and how he feels when you leave. Red, Marty has enough strikes against him as it is. You're not having strikes against him. That I am scared to death that someday he is just going to give up. He's not going to give up. Well, he doesn't need you showing him how to do it. We cut back to Tammy's house, and Tammy's terrible father, who we met earlier, is watching wrestling and hearing noises in the shed. So he grabs his gun and heads out to blow their ass off, as he says. Inside his greenhouse, he searches. Then there's this weird shot of an eye from under the greenhouse, and then a spider scare. Then the whole structure starts shaking as the werewolf jumps up through the floor and pulls him down. It's a great scene, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> Cut to the headline in the paper the next morning. Maniac claims another victim. Police investigation yields no clues. Town shaken. <laughs> On a lighter note, the African section at the zoo is opening. <laughs> so, so far, the werewolf has killed a chronic drunk, an unwed mother, and a bigot. Hmm. Clues. So the town is now under a 5 p.m. curfew. 5 p.m.? Oh my god. And Marty and Brady are flying kites in a very wooded area of the park, sadly. But luckily, Marty has serious upper body strength and climbed the tree to get his stuck kite. Wait, what did Marty's mom say earlier in the movie? And you know as well as I do, he couldn't have climbed that tree to stop Brady anyway. So Jane shows up to get Marty for dinner, and then he needs help getting down from the tree. Whatever. But you just got up there. Anyway, so they leave, but Brady wants to stay and fly his kite some more. As Marty looks back at Brady, knowing something bad will happen. But he leaves anyway. Bye, bitch. <laughs> Cut to the local bar, and temps are running high again. But this time, a man comes in looking for his son, Brady. Uh-oh. Was Brady a big drinker, or that's just the only thing still open? <laughs> Odd. Cut to the sheriff walking with Brady's smiley-faced kite covered in blood, and it seems the sheriff is a bit traumatized by what he's just seen, as the deputy and Brady's father show up. Cut to Brady's funeral in the church, and a very handsome reverend says some oddly chosen words. Mr. and Mrs. Kincaid have asked that I say a word of comfort to you if I could. If there is any word of comfort I can give you, it's just this. 
that the face of the beast always becomes known, and the time of the beast always passes. On the way home, Marty asks his uncle, what if it's not a man killing, but a monster? Uncle Red just laughs and tells him that people are more psycho during a full moon. Cut to the local gun nut who's been angry in the bars this whole time. Hmm, wonder why. Organizing a group of local yokels with guns. I'm sure this will turn out just great. Now, if he comes out in the moonlight tonight for a stroll, we're going to get that song. I want all of you people yeah, yeah. to go home. I don't remember deputizing a single one of you. That's right, Joe. The only deputy you got is that fat shitbag beside you, and neither one of you has done anything about solving this case. We'll catch him. You couldn't catch a cold. The law has a name for what you people are planning. It's called private justice. And private justice is about a step and a half away from lynch mobs and hang ropes. Now, I may be no J. Edgar Hoover, but I am the law in Tarker's Mills. I want all you people to go home. But then Brady's father has his moment and riles all the yokels back up again, so they all start running back out to their trucks with their guns as the handsome reverend tries to stop them on the sidewalk. And even the sheriff gave up trying to stop them. Cut to the yokels running through a foggy park, and the barkeep has his bat the peacemaker. <laughs> then, bam, someone steps in a bear trap. Now, according to all movies and cartoons, especially from the 80s, bear traps are just strewn all over the woods, no matter where you are in the country, even if there are no bears in the area. I guess, you know, that's what happens when you're raised by TV and movies. You expect bear traps and quicksand and trellisai. <laughs> trellisai. <laughs> so the yokels start going deeper in the foggy woods, following the main gun nut yokel, and now they're in a swamp? What the hell? Where are they? It's a park. It's woods. It's a swamp. Really? A swamp? Okay. Watch out for quicksand. <laughs> then they hear a massive growl, and they find that it's coming from under the fog that they are all standing in. <laughs> then all hell breaks loose, and the wolf grabs a man, and then the peacemaker, and then starts beating the barman to death with it. He kills a few more of the mob, and the rest run. Then we cut to a multi-person funeral, and it looks like five caskets. Fun fact, do you know the difference between a casket and a coffin? Well, coffins have six sides to them. A casket has four. Plus, the top of a coffin is wider at its top than its bottom. They taper to conform to the body of a human. Also, coffins have a removable lid, while caskets have lids with hinges. Oh. There are some other differences, but those are the main ones. Now you have something to pull out at your next cocktail party that won't get you arrested. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, right, right, right. The five-person funeral. And the priest seems to be having some issues, and all the people in the pew start turning into werewolves. Now, this scene's amazing and hilarious for multiple reasons, but my favorite is the werewolf organ player. <laughs> She's just amazing, just banging on the keys, and bam, the reverend wakes up screaming. It was all a dream. Aw, he doesn't sleep in the nude. Boo. Or at least just his collar. <laughs> so, Targer's Mills starts to look like a ghost town, as people are leaving town or just staying indoors. But of course, Marty's family is fine and having a cookout. Then we get this great scene from Marty and Uncle Red. You know, it's not enough that the monster killed all those people. He killed Brady. And that was Gotham to cancel the fair. And the fireworks. Yeah, and the fireworks. That's another thing. Where's your mom? 
she ain't that her up back lighting a barbecue. Yeah, Jane's walking around in all these new clothes, showing off her tits, acting like nobody ever had tits before her. Let me see if I got this right. The guy killed your best friend, drove your best girl out of town. And that's responsible for a cancer, the only carnival you got. Am I lying? No, you're not lying, Uncle Red. Well, it just so happens I've got something that might cheer you up. Then they reveal the cool new silver bullet motorized quote-unquote wheelchair. It's more like a tr motorcycle trike. No way this one is street legal. And he should be wearing a helmet. But whatever. He takes it for a spin and he is passing cars and going really fast. Later, after dinner, the uncle is about to leave and he gives Marty a huge paper bag full of fireworks. I'm sure those won't come into play later. <laughs> but see, barbecue, cookouts, fireworks. I'm getting 4th of July vibes, just saying. Cut to the middle of the night, and Muscle Man Marty is climbing out of his window and down to his motorcycle that he apparently starts up without waking up the whole neighborhood. Whatever. So we he see him heading to the swamp and stops on this little wooden bridge. Great place to set off fireworks. But he isn't alone. The werewolf is enjoying the fireworks too, lurking in the woods, watching, and then getting close to Marty. Marty hears something. And he's down to his last firework, a rocket. And just as the werewolf approaches, Marty does something smart, unlike in most horror movies. He shoots the rocket at the werewolf and gets him right in the eye, and then speeds away on his little motor trike and climbs back up into his bedroom. Cut to Marty calling Uncle Red to tell him about the werewolf. But of course he doesn't believe him and hangs up. The next day, Marty decides to tell his sister what happened, since his uncle wouldn't believe him. Then the narration happens again. He told me something that was clearly unbelievable. And yet somehow, I believed most of it. And I understood one thing with total clarity. Marty himself believed it all. I forgot that this whole thing was from the sister's memory. Uh, duh. Uh, cut to Jane going around with a shopping cart collecting bottles and cans to see if anyone in the town had an eye injury. And let me tell you, there are some ugly people in this town, okay? So she gets to the end and to turn her bottles in at the church, and bam, the reverend is the one with the eye injury. Oh my god! Not only is he hot, a reverend, but he's a werewolf. <laughs> oh, I mean, who doesn't love a hairy guy? <laughs> While she's dropping her cans in the barn, she finds the peacemaker broken as the reverend walks in, so she bolts home to tell Marty. So then Marty gets the idea and decides to send the Reverend a kidnapper's type ransom note, you know, made from all the letters cut out of magazines. And the letters say, I know who you are. I know what you are. Why don't you kill yourself? I mean, that's a bit extreme, but I guess he did murder his best friend and he would have murdered him if he hadn't had that rocket. So, okay, I get it. It's fine. So then they mail the letter to him. Plug for the US mail, fun. And we cut to the Reverend reading the note. Now he's wearing a sexy eye patch. Oh my God, this is all working for me. I think the eye patch thing comes from watching Days of Our Lives with my mother. And Steve, AKA Patch, was one of the hot 80s guys on that soap. I mean, he was not as hot as Bo and his mullet, but clearly the patch made an impression. <laughs> anyway, back to the one-eyed Reverend Werewolf. Crumpling the note, so the narrator tells us that they sent three more letters until finally telling Uncle Red what they've been doing. Holy jumped up ball-headed Jesus Palomina! Uncle Red! From him, I'd expect it. Sometimes I think your common sense got paralyzed along with your legs. But from you, Jane, you're Miss Polly Practical. 
You don't understand. I understand that my niece and my nephew are sending little love notes to the local minister suggesting that he gargle with broken glass or eat a rat poison omelet. It came for me. I shot it in the eye. Now he's wearing an eye patch. I wish I had a tape recorder so you could hear what you sound like. What about the baseball bat Jane saw in a shed? What about it? You know who used to have a baseball bat like that? Mr. Knopfler. So? It looked like Bigfoot had used it for a toothpick. You want to know what I think? No. I just called you out here to admire your pretty little face. You better watch your mouth right now. You're on thin ice with me, son. Uncle Red doesn't believe them, but he's starting to come around that something is up. Then we cut to the sad music part and Marty watching the other boys run and play baseball while he watches from the other side of the fence. But who pulls up behind to watch Marty? The Reverend. And as Marty heads home, the Reverend follows, and the music gets all tense. Oh, side note, music in this movie? Great. Then the Reverend tries to run Marty off a bridge, and he almost gets him, and he's got this crazed look in his eye, and he's behind the wheel, and they're just going again. And Marty is running on empty again, and they head towards the condemned bridge, and Marty gets in the bridge, but then runs out of fuel. It's a great old covered bridge. And you can see the Reverend pull up slowly behind him. And he gets out of car and walks slowly towards the bridge. Oh, this scene is great. Marty. I'm very sorry about this, Marty. I don't know if you believe that or not, but it's true. I would never willingly hurt a child. Please. I won't tell anyone. You should have let me alone, Marty. I can't kill myself. Our religion teaches that suicide is the greatest sin a man or a woman can commit. Stella was going to commit suicide, and if she had done so, she would be burning in hell right now. By killing her, I took her physical life, but I saved her life eternal. You see how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see, you meddling little shit! You're going to have a terrible accident, Marty. You're going to fall in the river. But then someone comes by and scares off the hot, crazy werewolf reverend wearing an eye patch. <laughs> so they tell Uncle Red, and he finally starts to believe it. So Uncle Red goes to the sheriff, and then the sheriff goes to check out the church in the middle of the night. Uh, hello? Isn't there a curfew, sheriff? <laughs> so he knocks on the door. No one answers. So he goes around back to the garage, and there's the reverend's car. And look at that, silver paint down the side. While he's in the garage, the Reverend pops up and turns into a wolf and attacks the Sheriff with the broken peacemaker again. Bye-bye, <laughs> Sheriff. That baseball bat has been so handy in this movie. Cut to Uncle Red, Marty, and Jane figuring out what to do now that the Sheriff is missing. Marty wants Uncle Red to turn his medallion into a silver bullet, and Jane also gives her silver cross too. That's another thing that seemed to be common in the 80s horror movies, that people could just make silver bullets from necklaces and silverware like in Monster Squad. Shout out Monster Squad episode number 30 of Reflections of Darkness, available wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> anyway, Uncle Red heads off to the local gun guy to help him make a silver bullet. You want a silver bullet, huh? The man Uncle Red had gone to see was more than a gunsmith. He was, Uncle Red said, an old-world craftsman, a sort of wizard of weapons. He confirmed the high-grade silver content of my crucifix and Marty's medallion, melted them down, and molded them into a silver bullet. Marty had read all the legends about werewolves, and though they differed on several minor points, 
they all agreed on one. It takes silver to kill a werewolf, and we were taking no chances. Here it is. Nicest piece of work I ever done, I think. It's got a low grain load, so it won't tumble. Ought to be pretty accurate. Why shoot? It's just a gag. I mean, uh, what the heck are you gonna shoot a 44 bullet at anyway? Made out of silver. How about a werewolf? So they have one silver bullet, and it's Halloween night, the night of the full moon, and Marty and Jane's parents are off to a romantic weekend, so it's just Uncle Red, Marty, and Jane. So they sit up and wait, and fall asleep, of course. Luckily, Uncle Red's cigarette burns him and wakes them all up. Then, bam, Jane sees the wolf pop up in the window. Then the wolf cuts the power, and then bursts through the wall. Throws Uncle Red around a little bit, the bullet falls down an air vent, of course, Then they get the bullet in the gun, and literally, bam, Marty shoots the werewolf. And he turns back into the reverend slowly, and all the hair receding. I mean, they could have left him a little chest hair. (laughs) And then jump scare, and then he's still dead. Don't worry. He's dead. Marty? Are you all right? Except for my legs. What? I don't think I could walk. <laughs> oh, I love you, Jimmy. I love you too. I wasn't always able to say that. But I can say it now. I love you too, Marty. Good night. So that's the end. They got the hot, crazy werewolf reverend wearing an eye patch, And for the most part, you know, I like this movie. It's a great story. It's good acting. The soundtrack is strong. The place where it fails for me is the werewolf when he's fully formed. It just looks like a costume. But when he's in the woods or we only see part of him or during the transformations, those are good. But the full wolf is kind of hokey. But I still give Silver Bullet 7.5 out of 10 ripped pantyhose (laughs) okay so now for another new thing i'm trying out that i don't have a name for yet i have a list that you know may change depending on the movie it's just a fun little checklist you can do at home too so number one best kill i think it would have to be the decapitation at the beginning of the movie for sure two hottest guy um of course hot crazy werewolf reverend wearing an eye patch for me (laughs) three Pick two other movies to go with this one to make the perfect movie night. Well, for this, you could go a few different ways. You could stay with the werewolf theme. You could do a Stephen King theme. Or you could even do a Corey Haim theme. But I think, for me, I would do Silver Bullet, American Werewolf in London, and finish it off with Wolf Cop. I love Wolf Cop. Shout out Wolf Cop, episode number 32 of Reflections of Darkness, available wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) Number four, Best Scare. Probably the eye under the greenhouse or the spider jump scare. Number five, if it doesn't already have a sequel, would you want one? I'd say yes, but I would want the wolf to be the grown-up Marty, and every time he turns into a wolf, he can walk, so it takes forever for everyone to figure out it's him. (gasps) Number six, special effects rating. Like I said before, the full wolf was a no for me, but the rest was fine. Number seven, kill count. A nice even 10, including the hot, crazy werewolf reverend wearing an eye patch. 
<laughs> Eight. What made evil laugh? The werewolf organ player gets me every time. <laughs> Number nine. Best dressed. I can honestly say no one in this movie was best dressed. Number ten. Worst dressed. I can honestly say everyone in this movie was the worst dressed. <laughs> Number eleven. Parents Guide to Profanity list from IMDb, and these are a hoot. Two uses of fuck, 13 uses of shit, 14 uses of ass, two paired with whole. <laughs> Eight uses of damn, three paired with God, six uses of hell, four uses of bitch, five uses of Jesus, one use of Jesus Christ, five uses of piss, and two uses of tits. Oh my God, grasp my pearls, tits. Now, I want to see the person sitting there with their little notepad waiting for these words to pop up. <laughs> Tits. <laughs> Number 12. Unanswered questions. How did the Reverend become a werewolf? Why was Marty in the wheelchair? Who was that woman in Uncle Red's bed? How did they explain a shot-dead, naked, one-eyed Reverend in their living room to the cops? Will Uncle Red ever be allowed around the children again? Did Jane ever buy those new hoes? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> My favorite question, number 13. How to make this movie a drinking game. Okay, take a drink when someone gets killed, obvi. Take a drink when Marty Muscleman climbs a tree or in and out of his room. Take a drink every time Uncle Red does. <laughs> That'll get you there. And of course, take a shot for every bar scene. Well, that's the list with no name for this movie. I hope you have fun with it like I did. Feel free to send me your list on Insta or Twitter or email it to me. And all that information is over on my website, evilqueensf.com. Well, that's enough werewolf 4th of July-ish horror for me tonight. As always, keep watching scary movies. I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. <laughs>